text for this morning's sermon is Job 40, and the verses 1 to 14, and Job 42, uh, 1 to 10. The Lord is continuing to speak with Job from out of the whirlwind. Job 40, beginning at verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then I also, then will I also acknowledge you that your own right hand can save you. And we turn to 42, Job 42, starting at verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and, make it, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you and I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Naamathite went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before.
beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we continue our series on encounters that some of the saints of the Old Testament had with God. Our focus is on Job. The book of Job is a book that deals with suffering. Job was a very devout man. The Lord boasted about him to Satan, saying, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man who fears God, who turns away from evil. Satan charged that Job served God because the Lord had made him very rich. He challenged God that if he took away Job's blessings, Job would curse him to his face. I think you all know the story of Job, how the Lord allowed Satan to take away all Job's possessions. Enemies plundered his oxen and donkeys, fire from heaven burned up his sheep, enemies raided his camels, and a great wind caused the house where his ten children were feasting to collapse. Job, the richest man of the East, lost everything that he had. Job did not curse God, but instead he blessed his holy name. Satan then received permission to afflict him with a painful illness. Job had running sores from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. He sat on the ash heap, using a broken piece of pottery to scrape the pus away. On top of all the calamity that came upon Job, Those closest to him served as very poor counselors. His wife told him to curse God and die. But Job did not curse God. Job 2 ends by telling us that despite all that happened to him, Job did not sin with his lips. Three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon Job, and they came to show him sympathy and to comfort him. But they were very poor comforters. They asked Job, who that was innocent ever perished? They accused Job of some hidden sin in his life. Most of the book of Job is a series of speeches that Job's so-called friends made to him and Job's responses to them. The hardest thing that Job faced was not the loss of his possessions or the lack of support from his friends. It was the sense that God had abandoned him. Job struggled intensely with why he had to suffer so much. We know that God had given Satan permission to attack him to see whether Job loved God for his goodies or for who he was. But Job didn't know that. To him, his suffering seemed senseless. And so Job curses the day of his birth. And more and more, he gets frustrated with God. And he accuses God of wrongdoing. Job said to the Lord, Make known to me my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as my enemy? Job felt that God had done a great injustice against him by causing him all his suffering. He stated this plainly in chapter 19, verse 6. 
He said, know then that God has wronged me. Job cried out in chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, saying, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might, even, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Thus Job charged God with injustice in the manner God dealt with him. Job did what we often do when we face deep struggles in our lives. He blamed God. We sympathize with him. Like Job, we often question what we've done to deserve such hardships, so much suffering in our lives. Like Job, we ask questions, and we want answers to why God deals with us as he does. Knowing that God is all-powerful, that he is a loving father, we struggle to understand why he leads us through deep valleys in life. When suffering, Christians will often turn to the book of Job. We want answers to the question of why God allows evil and suffering in our lives. But the answers that this book provides are not what we expect. God could have told Job about Satan's challenge and how God allowed him to persevere to prove that God's children can and do love him from the heart. But God doesn't do that. Instead, God provided Job with completely unexpected answers to his questions. And so God also instructs us about how to deal with the suffering that we experience in this fallen and this broken world. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. From out of the whirlwind, the Lord answered Job's complaints about his suffering. In suffering, the Lord teaches us to see who he is, who we are, and who Christ is. Most of the book of Job consists of speeches made by Job's friends and his responses to them. In answering the charge that he must be guilty of hidden sin in his life for God to punish him so severely, Job claims two things. The first is that he is an innocent sufferer, a righteous man, a good man. And the second is that God won't talk with him. Job says that if only he knew where to find God, he would state his case and make his argument. His basic point would be that God was not dealing fairly with him. The Lord listened to what Job had to say. For a long time, he remained silent, although Job attacked his righteousness. But finally, in the last chapters of Job, the Lord responds. Just as Job had come to God with many questions, the Lord now responds with some questions of his own. The Lord speaks to Job from out of the whirlwind. His response begins with a reprimand. The Lord chastises Job for his faulty attitudes towards him. The Lord asks, Who is this that darkens counsel 
by words without knowledge. The counsel of the Lord is a plan that he has made. It's his plan for this world, for our salvation, and for our lives. A plan in which the Lord has determined the day of our birth, how long we will live, and what we will do from day to day. Job has challenged that God is unjust in his plan for Job's life. God answers him saying, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. We read some of the questions the Lord asked Job in chapter 38. He asked, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job wasn't there. He doesn't know how God created the world. God asked, who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst out from the womb? The point is that the Lord set limits for the oceans, and Job was not around and didn't know how God did it. The Lord asked if Job has commanded the morning or been in charge of the sunrise. He asked Job if he is the one who sends snow, hail, wind, rain, or frost. He asked if Job has the power to control the constellations of the stars. With all his questions, the Lord is making a point. Job knows very little about how this world runs. He has neither the wisdom nor the power to govern the earth. He is utterly surrounded both above and below by mysteries. And beloved, so are we. For despite all the scientific advancements of the past centuries, there's so much in and about creation we don't understand. What Job does know only comes from the understanding that the Lord has given him. In Job 38, verse 36, the Lord asked Job, Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? All the wisdom that mankind has, the depth of man's understanding, comes from God himself. In Job 38 and 39, the Lord makes clear there's a great difference between him and Job. God is the creator. Job is but a creature of the dust. God's wisdom is unsearchable. Job's perspectives are limited. Any understanding Job has is but a gift from the Almighty. Why does God use two chapters of questions to make this point? It's to bring home the charge he lays at the beginning of our text. In our text, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer this question. Job had wanted a lawsuit. He had pleaded for a chance to appear before God and argue his case. God was now giving him his opportunity. But before Job started, Almighty God wanted to ask him, Do you think you can correct me? From his immeasurable height, the Lord bends down to that little fellow Job. Job had rebuked God. 
So now let him answer God's questions. Having heard all God's questions, Job has nothing to say. He realizes his inability to contend with the Almighty. Who is he to argue with God? Instead, Job responds saying, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Why doesn't Job go further in questioning God? He had so desperately wanted to plead his case before God. So why does Job now remain silent? Did Job now think he had no case? Had he not served God uprightly? Why didn't he press his case, asking God why he had brought such calamity upon him, a man who had served God wholeheartedly? Beloved, if you had a chance, wouldn't you want to, wouldn't you want to press your claim against God? To ask why he brought such adversity upon you? Why you've had to suffer all these years with anxiety or depression or mental illness? Why your marriage is broken up? Why you experience so much financial hardship? Why you face this illness or that disease? Why God has taken your husband or wife, your child or parent, your brother or sister out of this life? Wouldn't you press to ask God to explain his ways in your life? Job doesn't do so. For he has faced God, speaking to him from out of the whirlwind. That in and of itself was enough to make Job realize the difference between creator and creature, the Almighty and a man of dust. But there was more. All God's questions had impressed on Job, God's immeasurable wisdom. Job realized what the psalmist would later say, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. And not only did God create the world, but he also upholds it. God rules over the day and the night. He sends sun and rain. The tides and the seasons are in his hand. God has a plan for the life of each of his creatures. He executes his counsel. He does what pleases him in ways that go far beyond our understanding. We, beloved, look at life through distorted glasses. We evaluate things from out of the experiences that we've had in life. But God is perfectly wise. Who are we to question the way he leads our lives? The Lord is not satisfied with Job's answer. 
Job had accused him of great injustice. He claimed that God had wronged him. He wanted to come and state his case before the Lord. So the Lord tells him, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. The Lord asked Job a couple of key questions. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me so that you may be right? God's basic point is this. Job, who are you to accuse me of injustice? The fact that Job underwent suffering does not mean that God is guilty of injustice. The only situation in which that would be true is if Job had been without sin. Yet Job has freely confessed that he is a sinner. With a fall into sin came sickness and brokenness and death. That's what we deserve because of our sin. In fact, we deserve far worse. We deserve to bear God's wrath against our sins, to suffer everlasting condemnation. Thus, Job has no grounds for accusing God of injustice. Like Job, we sometimes question if God is dealing with us fairly. Yet, beloved, we need to recognize that our perspectives are limited. In our lives, we tend to focus on our comfort, on how well life is going for us. It's hard for us to consider how God wants to work with adversity and suffering in our lives. How God uses adversity to teach us humility, to teach us patience, to teach us not to be so judgmental of others. How God uses suffering to help us focus our trust on Him, to seek our comfort in Him, to learn to to rely on His mercy and grace. When we are in the midst of trials and sorrows, we often struggle deeply. We simply cannot understand why God has allowed us to suffer such loss, such calamity, such heartbreak. But beloved, isn't it true that after some years have passed, that our perspectives change? Don't we often begin to see some fruits on the struggles and adversities we've been through? Being finite creatures, having limited perspectives, who are we to question how God leads our lives? A big part of our problem in dealing with God's justice is that our perspectives are temporal, that they relate just to the here and now. We often forget to look beyond this life at the life to come. Consider the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Is it fair? that this selfish rich man received such great blessings in his life, while Lazarus was sick and so hungry, he longed to eat the scraps that fell from the rich man's table? Was God dealing with Lazarus justly? 
outwardly didn't seem so. And when he died, Lazarus was taken up into, a- into Abraham's bosom. While after death, the rich man suffered the torments of hell. When the rich man begged for mercy, Abraham told him, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received many good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted, and you are in anguish. You see, beloved, what is crooked in this life, God will make straight. He will judge justly on the final day when all appear before his judgment seat. In answering Job, the Lord did not provide a direct answer to why he allowed Job to undergo such great suffering. But God did make it clear that he is the almighty ruler of heaven and earth, and that Job's life was in his hands. He made it clear that he is the infinitely wise God who had a good plan for Job's life. The same applies to us. Our job is not to fully understand why God allows hardships and struggles into our lives. We're wrong to blame God when our life goes off the rails, when we face deep sorrows or even hopelessness because of life's circumstances. We need to acknowledge God for who He is, the all-powerful and the all-wise God. It brings us to our second point. In suffering, the Lord teaches us to see who we are. Job saw himself as a man of integrity, and he was. The Lord himself made this clear when boasting about Job to Satan. He said that there was no one like Job in all the earth. He said Job was a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. In Ezekiel 14, the Lord speaks about how he was about to to destroy Jerusalem because of his people's sins. He says that even if the righteous men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, he would not spare the city, although he would allow them to live. Here we have further evidence that Job was considered one of the most righteous men who ever lived. Because of the charges his friends leveled against him, that there was hidden sin in his life, Job had to defend his integrity. We see from his speeches that he did so vigorously. In Job 29, he speaks about his social righteousness. Job says that he delivered the poor who cried out for help. He provided life and joy for the fatherless and the widow. In Job 31, he speaks about his sexual integrity. He says that he made a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully at other women. It appears that Job was wholehearted in his service of God, that he was upright and loving in his dealings with his neighbor. Yet in vigorously defending his integrity over against the attacks of his friends, Job adopted sinful attitudes in his relationship with God. His basic thinking was that if he was a righteous man, then God was wrong to punish him. Like his friends, Job saw what was happening to him as some form of divine retribution. He thought God was punishing him unfairly. 
That's why Job challenged God to make known to him his sin. That's why he said, know then that God has wronged me. Job blamed God for all his sorrow and suffering. Beloved, don't we at times do that too? When we face struggles and sorrows, it's pretty natural for us to blame God. We know God is all-powerful, that he holds our lives in his hands, that nothing can happen to us without his will. God teaches us that as our Father, he loves us. He has promised to provide us with all we need for body and soul. And then stuff happens in our lives that doesn't seem to fit with what we know about God. We can't make sense of why God would allow such hardship, so much struggle, the deep sorrow that we're experiencing. We feel abandoned by God, forsaken by Him. We experience despair, even hopelessness. It feels like my suffering will never end. Then like Job, we want to haul God into court and enter into a lawsuit against Him. Job cried out in chapter 23, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Thus Job charged God with injustice in the manner God dealt with him. He blamed him for all his suffering. He desperately wanted a day of reckoning in court. That's why the Lord was not satisfied with Job's response in Job 40 verses 4 and 5. There Job confessed he was of little account before God. He put his hand in front of his mouth so he would not again talk back against God. God tells him to man up. God is angry with Job for charging him with injustice. And so for the rest of Job 40 and 41, the Lord again speaks to him out of the whirlwind. Again, the Lord makes clear his sovereignty over all the earth. God is the mighty king who rules over all things with great power and wisdom. Who is Job to question him? After revealing much about who he is, the Lord goes on to ask Job who he thinks he is. The almighty creator and ruler of this world bends down, as it were, and he puts that little Job in his place. The Lord doesn't provide Job with any explanations for why he had to suffer so much. He doesn't provide any comfort to Job in his speeches from out of the whirlwind. Seems like God was about to squash this little bug who dared to question his wisdom and righteousness. You know what's amazing, beloved? God's approach got through to Job. Job changes. He confesses, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job states, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Experiencing God's intervention into his life causes Job to see God in a whole new light. And the result is that Job repents in dust and ashes. 
When the Bible says that he repents in this way, it indicates that Job is sorry. He has wronged God with his words. He grieves over the fact that he offended God by charging him with injustice. Job recognizes it was utterly wrong for him, a weak and sinful creature, to blame the holy and awesome God for sinning against him by allowing him to experience suffering. It's flabbergasting to us that God's response satisfied Job, that it caused him to repent as he did. God provided no explanation for the calamity that came upon Job. God didn't show any sympathy towards Job in the midst of his suffering. He simply challenged Job with some probing questions. Did Job really think he could do a better job than God? That he was wise and powerful enough to rule not only his own life, but over all of creation? Who was Job to challenge God about the way in which God led his life? God knew that the basic issue facing Job was one of pride. And so he humbled Job, and he caused him to repent. It's precisely what Job needed to be restored in a good relationship with God again. Brings us to our final point. In suffering, the Lord teaches us to see who Christ is. In the book of Job, Job is portrayed as a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. It's because of his righteousness that Job struggles intensely with the evil and suffering God brought into his life. We can all understand paying the price for our own wrongdoing. But our sense of justice is easily provoked if we're punished for something we didn't do. This lay at the heart of Job's struggles. He didn't feel like he deserved the terrible suffering of losing all his possessions, his ten children, and the comfort and support of all those around him. It caused him to be alienated from God. Job's struggles were based on a faulty premise. He claimed to be an innocent sufferer. But Job was not an innocent sufferer. Despite his righteousness, he was still a sinner. Job's life and his suffering pointed forward to the innocent sufferer, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one whom God afflicted, who suffered deeply, even though he did not deserve it. You remember how Job said, I have been cut off from God? That, too, was a faulty claim. Job was never cut off from God. To him, in his deepest sorrow and agony, it felt like he'd been cut off from God. But Job didn't know what it meant to be truly cut off from God. The only innocent sufferer who was cut off from God was our Savior, Jesus Christ. During the three hours of darkness on the cross, the Father turned his face away from his beloved Son. Jesus suffered God's wrath against all our sins. Jesus experienced the torments of hell. 
He did so for us. To pay for our sins. To restore us in our relationship with God. In his suffering, Job did many things wrong. He cursed the day of his birth. He ranted and raved about God's injustice. At times he was filled with self-pity. But he did it all, trying to get back to God. His heart was filled with a desire to find God again. The Lord commends Job for this when charging his friends with wrongdoing. He says to them, You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Note those words, my servant Job. They're repeated four times in just a few verses. Despite his wrongdoing, God looked at Job positively because Job was wholehearted in his service of the Lord. It is through Job's suffering that Satan was defeated in his contest with God. The Lord proved that his children don't just love him for his gifts, but they love him for who he is. The Lord was angry with Job's three friends because because what they had said about him was not right. The Lord appointed Job as a mediator for his friends. He charged them to ask Job to pray for them, that the Lord not deal with them according to their folly. Job did so, and the Lord accepted his prayer. Also in this, Job points forward to Jesus Christ. He is the mediator who stands between God and us. He is the one who intercedes for us. Also in times when we're foolish, when we blame God, when things go wrong in our lives. God has promised to hear our prayers for Christ's sake. For he is the innocent sufferer. He is the one who is truly cut off from God. He paid the price for our sins and he's opened the way for us to be reconciled to God. Beloved, going through hardships and suffering is never easy. Often we don't understand God's way of leading and directing our lives. In the midst of our struggles, we may feel cut off from God. It's human to struggle, to ask the why questions. But please don't blame God for allowing you to go through tough times. The story of Job shows us how foolish that is. Who are we, puny earthlings, to question God? Remember that God is eternal, incomprehensible, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, and good. A God who loved us so much that he put his dearly loved son through indescribable agony and suffering for our sake. Trust that the Lord knows what he's doing when he allows you to struggle and suffer. 
hold on to him and to his rich promises in Jesus Christ. In the end, that's the only thing that makes our suffering bearable. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together hymn 13. <laughs>